1: And welcome to the show this morning as we uh, plow through the week. It's already Thursday, right? Second best day of the week. Means weekends right around us already. Can't believe how fast this week has passed us by. Quite amazing. Getting older every minute.
0: (laughs) Wow, you're an optimist. (laughs) I know, right?
1: (laughs) Uh, Interesting study out this morning talking about demographics. We now have in February and March, which is up through the latest data, Um, We now have the lowest birth rate on record. I mean, basically, the number of births in America are just dropping off the cliff. Um, And that has a a lot to do with with different things. Uh, You know, of course, there's concerns about you know the ability to support children right people are working long you know waiting longer because of you know potentially getting into a career uh, if you take a look at the number of millennials still living at home with their parents it's still like about 40 percent of the millennial population still living with parents so you know there's a there was a movie out with matthew mcconaughey a while back and um i can't remember the the, the girl's name that was in it also she was uh, in Sex in the City. She was one of the, the lead characters in Sex in the City. I'll think of it in a second. Anyway, um, the family, Terry Bradshaw's the father and the, the mother, they hire a consultant to try to get Matthew McConaughey out of the house, right? They <laughs> want to get him out of the house and, and get him married off, and so, um, they hire a consultant to try to get him on with life. But this is this is one of the problems that a lot of parents are having is trying to get kids, you know, out into the workforce and get them going and and get them in a career. And this has been kind of a change in the dynamic of employment over the course of really the last two decades. And this is not something that just cropped up overnight. This isn't a pandemic problem. This has been going on since the financial crisis. And this is, and of course, if people aren't confident about having a job or having the ability to support a family, or if both partners are having to work just to make ends meet, that delays the potential for having children people want to feel a little bit more secure about having children um you know and, and kind of a normal process yes you know other things happen and people have kids all the time but um you know when people are planning to have children they tend to, they're waiting longer uh to try to feel more financially secure this is not something that's going to change anytime soon um, we now have the lowest birth rate since the 1940s and part of that problem really is a is a pyramid of of problems that expound from that. First of all, in the 1940s, as an example, we had 16 workers paying into Social Security. Today, we have less than two paying into Social Security. Of course, we talked yesterday a little bit about the $170 trillion problem that exists in Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare going forward. Um, That's a a big part of that problem is people failing to contribute to it, right? They're not working enough to contribute enough into it. We don't have enough workers supporting it. We've got this expanding number of people that are outside the labor force. And yes, there are part part of the people outside the labor force, uh, yes, are retiring. Right. But that's not the, the answer that is really solving the whole issue, because when you take a look at the number of people outside the labor force, it's almost 50 percent of the population. That certainly doesn't suggest that 50 percent of America is now retired. Uh, much more when you start to look at the fact that 90% of the stock market is owned by the top 10% of income earners, it's hard to suggest that a large number of people that retired are able to actually sustain retirement just on what meager savings they have and social security. And this is why we're seeing a lot of people over the age of 65 still in the labor force. Yes, last year where there was a big jump in the number of retirees. Last year, 2020, big jump in the number of retirees. They didn't retire voluntarily. <laughs> they were asked to retire by companies and, and moved off the rolls. So those people will likely not stay in retirement for long. They'll likely come back into the labor force because simply they don't have enough money and savings to remain retired uh, in that function and just simply live off Social Security. Cost of living is rising. And just a good example this year, prices are definitely up. And that's going to become more problematic for Social Security to try to keep up with that rate of of draw. So demographics, back to the original point, is very important. And as Will, Will Rogers once said, he said, demographics are destiny. And that's really kind of the case. If you take a look at Japan as an example, by 2050, the vast majority of their population will be over the age of 65. By 2050 in the United States, a lar- about 50% of the population in the U.S. is going to be over the age of 65. That has very big impacts on financial markets, economic growth, et cetera, because once people get older, um, they become net drawers on assets, not net contributors. So you are gonna have a, a much larger percentage of the population taking money out of the system, investment accounts, stock markets, et cetera, to live on, also, a bigger draw on Social Security benefits and, of course, the, the, the underfunded liabilities of the social welfare, welfare system in the U.S. So there's a lot of demographic problems that are coming down the road because of the fact that people aren't getting out there and having kids. So get to work. You <laughs> know, get to work out there having some more kids. But yeah, this is, and, and so this is going to really come back to really twofold, two things. Um, is that looking at immigration? And I'm not talking about immigration the way we're doing it now, where it's just kind of open the board and uh, everybody just kind of comes across. We're talking about merit-based immigration, where you're immigrating people to come in to create businesses, bring capital, um, you know, uh, bring skill sets, etc., that create a an immigration system that leads to stronger economic prosperity, but also helps support the underlying payments into the system right so that you can support the the elderly population as they move through their retirement years and are and are a draw on the financial system as well so part of the demographic problem has to be done domestically by getting people to have more children and the other side has to be done through a merit-based immigration system so this is going to be one of the big challenges uh, both politically and economically really over the course of the next next decade or so. This is, is, is gonna have to, the focus is gonna have to become this because the challenge of demographics is something that you can't get around. It's a very deflationary pressure on the overall economy. You'll layer on top of that 30, 40, 50 trillion of debt by the time we get there, and then you see what the real problem is. So those are the, the you know, and you'll hear people talk about this, you know, the the three Ds. That will impact the economy and the prosperity of the U.S. over the next 30 to 40 years. The 3Ds: demographics, deflation, and debt. Pay attention to those things because those those really kind of will wrap everything up very quickly. Yesterday, the markets did rise just a little bit and then kind of fell off right at the end of the day. Uh, Fed member Kaplan came out yesterday, and says, "Yeah, if we're going to be hiking rates and tapering sooner than you think, markets didn't like that." Kind of pretty much closed where they opened for the day. Importantly, hardly any volume yesterday. So despite the fact that the market spent most of the day in positive territory, very little positive action in terms of people actually contributing capital. So again, we're still on the sell signal right now and, and markets still kind of contained here. Markets look to open up this morning. The question will be this morning, can they you know, challenge all-time highs today? That's gonna be one of the, the first questions. Secondly, is keep a watch on the volume of participation Is it really there? And and that really kind of comes into this whole bigger picture of kind of what happens next here uh, with the markets over the next week or so. We'll talk some more about this in particular on Three Minutes on Markets and Money today. Uh, So tune into our our YouTube channel on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back.
0: daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com. For our virtual lunch and learn on long term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show this morning. You know, when, you know, for for a lot of youngsters out there, you know, when, uh, you know, back in the late 90s, you know, that was really kind of where we were getting into this whole, you know, era of the internet and everything was really taking off and, um, you know, I'd been you know, messing around with computers, you know, ever since the Tandy 1000. So that'll throw. Actually, the Commodore 64 was one of my first computers, and then uh, the Tandy 1000. TR, I, actually it was the it was the the <laughs> the TRS 180 was the first one that was the uh, Tandy 1000. Yeah. So that was Radio Shack, by the way. If you don't happen to <laughs> you know if you weren't around back then, there was actually these electronic stores called Radio Shack, and they actually sold these computers. Anyway. You know, it was was the beast too Uh, back then. Had 512 k of RAM, two five and a quarter inch floppy drives, and a 16 color RGB screen. Top of the line at that time, and not cheap. And not cheap, right? And uh, you know, so it was interesting. And, And you know, when you know, my neighbor down the street. You know, he he and I mowed yards together, and that's how we bought stuff all the time. We went and mowed yards and washed cars and that type of stuff. Well, he, he bought a 10-megabyte hard drive when it first came out. And everybody was like, what are you going to do with all that storage? I mean, you're never going to fill that up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Today, totally different story. The reason I bring this up, though, is, is because, you know, it wasn't too long after that that people started inventing these things called viruses. Nobody was knew what a virus was, but, you know, whenever you're going to open something up, you know, somebody's going to figure out some nefarious way to screw things up. There's always that guy at the party, right? And <laughs> so this company called McAfee was came out and they had this virus protection and, and uh, you know, kind of an interesting company. The company, you know, created this virus protection, did very well. Um, guy made a lot of money. And then, you know, this, you know, the, you know, there's a, a very interesting story behind, you know, this whole issue of this 75 year old entrepreneur, John McAfee, who started McAfee Antivirus. Um, you know, ranging from tax evasion to conspiracy theories to all kinds of stuff. I mean, just if, if you go Google the story of John Mac, this is going to make a great TV special someday when they, they get around to making it. Just, to, just some crazy stuff about this guy. But he uh, was set to be extradited um, from Spain back to the U.S., where he would have, you know, basically spent the rest of his life in prison. I mean, he was accused of murder at one point. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And uh, anyway, he committed suicide yesterday. It was reported uh, that he committed suicide in his jail cell. And, you know, this was, you know, just kind of the culmination of— you know, a long, later, I mean, the SEC had accused him of hiding cryptocurrency income of more than $23 million. <laughs> you know? This just, the, the, the story is just crazy. Um, and again, too long to get into here today, but just kind of an interesting end to a, a story where a guy creates a company does very well for himself and then just kind of goes off the rails and into the most strange series of events and consequences and actions right it just it just it just the story of how you can screw something up is is the story of John McAfee <laughs> so um uh, but anyway uh, it, it's interesting though that uh, it did end this way and of course um you know he he uh, did commit suicide yesterday. So again, this is uh, this, this is going to be one of those lifetime movie events, stories. At some point, we'll see. <laughs> Not know. the hallmark. Channel. Not the hallmark <laughs> channel. It's going to be one of those lifetime movies. Um, anyway, just kind of an interesting story. Um, so there was this morning. I was talking a little bit about you know kind of the markets. There was an interesting article out this morning uh, that Danny Ratliff sent over to me, and talking about. Investors and Expectations for Returns in 2021. You know, the market's doing very well this year so far. And and so, the, and, but this, this survey was taken back, and I think, in January or February um, when it was originally done. And the market was up about 5% for the year at the time that the survey was was put out. The survey found that investors are expecting, and I I like the terms they used. They used high net worth investors. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. I want to tell you what their definition of high net worth investors were. (laughs) They said that high net worth investors, those with $100,000 or more in investment accounts. Now, okay, the definition of a high net worth investor in the financial world is somebody with over $5 million. Okay. Um. We've now included now. But, you know, we've talked about the problem just a minute ago. We we're talking about the problem with, you know, people over the age of 65. They have less than less than one year salary in the bank in terms of savings. They can't meet a five hundred dollar emergency. Most of their savings are in their 401k plan. That averages about sixty thousand dollars on average. Um, you know, every year the uh, Fidelity comes out. Vanguard, all these companies come out with the number of, of people in their 401k plans that have over a million dollars, right? The number of 401k millionaires, we see this every year. 387 accounts had you know over a million dollars. 421 accounts, whatever it is. If you break that down by the number of accounts that they have, 401k accounts that they have, guess what that is? It's the top 1% surprise. So when you start looking at median balances of 401k plans, average balances of 401k plans, that number is far less. It's around fifty dollars to $70,000, depending on the company reporting it. But that's really kind of the average of the average American. So it's interesting that, that we are now going to call wealthy investors with people over $100,000 in the bank. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not a lot of money. It is. But If your cost of living is $50,000 a year, $100,000 covers you for two years. And this is one of the big fallacies that we have with the financial media. They go, well, if you just save $5 a day into an S&P fund over the next 50 years, you'll have a million dollars in the bank. That's fine. Except a million dollars today and a million dollars 50 years ago are two very different things. In 1980, a million dollars in 10-year treasury bills would yield you $140,000 a year to live on. Your your cost of living for a family of four was $22,000. Big difference versus today. A million dollars will generate you about $15,000 a year and your cost of living is 55 to 60 for a family of four. Big difference. And see, they never tell you this, right? They're just always throwing out these numbers. Million dollars sounds like a lot of money, and a lot of people don't have a million dollars. It's not that much money. It doesn't get you very far in reality. And considering that most people's net worth, and you kind of hold up the quote fingers on that, isn't a million dollars in cash in the bank, right? It's a million dollars of net worth. That's their house. And all their other stuff, their 401k plan, which has fifty or $60,000 in it, it, may be an investment account. And let's go with it. Let's say it's $100,000. That's not liquid, right? Million dollars liquid is something else entirely. Or a million dollars in income-producing investments. That's something – look, rental properties, that's an investment, right? Because that produces a stream of income, and I can sell it. Your house is not an asset. It's an expense, I know, I just committed heresy. Your house is not an asset. And and back in 2000 was the point to where when Alan Greenspan started really pushing home ownership in America, right, all the financial media jumped on board and says, well, your house is part of your net worth. It's part of your assets. No, it's not. Don't count it as part of your assets. Why? Because if you want to extract the capital from your house, what do you have to do with it? you got to sell it great now you sold it you got cash that's awesome where are you gonna live i'm gonna live in a van down by the river (laughs) don't laugh because there's a lot of people actually doing that right now van sales in 2020 went through the roof rv people buying rvs through the roof so people are selling their houses and buying rvs so they're gonna live down by the river
0: I'm not a, sure an RV is what the guy had in mind with that bit.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure it was either. But you can go to Hippie Hollow in Austin and there you go. Yeah. Right? So And
0: with. you don't have to worry about what you wear exactly, there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, just park your RV down by the river, and there you go. But but your house is an expense, right? Because you gotta pay taxes, you gotta pay upkeep, you gotta pay maintenance, and until you sell it, it's you know, it's not liquid, right? You gotta live somewhere. So when you start talking about a million dollars in net worth it needs to really be the discussion of what do you have that you can sell and convert into cash and use to live on and this has been one of my my big complaints about or I shouldn't say big complaints but you know Dave Ramsey who is a great debt counselor nothing wrong with with what he does uh, but he one thing he does is he advocates that people pay off their houses and i get it right get them out of debt create cash flow. Nothing wrong with that, particularly if you're not saving money. It's not a bad plan. But there's consequences to that because once I pay off my house, that's great. I don't have a mortgage payment. That's awesome. Right? So I start concentrating on saving up for other stuff. But I've now tied up a whole bunch of my capital into a dead asset because until I've got to have, again, i got to have a place to live. So until I sell that house, that asset doesn't make me any money. It doesn't produce any income. It's actually an expense because every year I've got to keep paying income taxes, property taxes, homeowners, association dues, all that, which is actually depleting the long-term return on that piece of property. right? So we come back, though, Well, I'm going to pick up on the other side of this with talking about why investors are expecting this year for returns, and why that may be more reminiscent of a market peak than normality. We'll be right back after a break
0: you're listening to the real investment show you could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy six hundred dollars a month our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join richard rosso and danny ratliff for the basics of long-term care long-term care register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Everybody get up!
1: back at 633 on this morning's edition of the real investment show so just for the break talking a little bit about expectations of the markets a recent article out of a study that was done back in uh january february of this year markets only up about five percent of the time investors were expecting a 15.6 percent rate of return above inflation for 2021 so Think about that. Inflation is currently running right now year over years five percent ish. So five percent on top of fifteen point six. So you're talking about twenty point six percent rate of return this year. And again, why not? Right? Um, Fed's been pumping in lots of liquidity. We've had you know, very high rates of return in markets over the last really decade. Um, You know, if we go back and look at just over the last 11 years where we've been kind of cranking out these 12, 13, 14% year rates of return, you know, it's certainly not surprising that investors are now just kind of expecting a normalized rate of return of 15.6% above inflation going forward. So, but this is kind of part of the, process of bull market cycles and you know these kind of risk that build in the in, in the markets. And this is a clear example of what we call recency bias. Individuals tend to think that what happened in the recent past will continue to happen in the future indefinitely. Right? Good example, let's talk about housing prices here real quick. Housing prices are surging on a year-over-year basis, right? I mean, every the last couple of years in particular, we've just seen these massive increases in housing prices really kind of off the chain this year. And so instead of uh, instead of individuals going, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to just kind of maybe put my plans on pause here for a moment about buying a house because, you know, the housing prices are really, you know, I'm paying too much for the house relative to what its worth is that would that would be the logical expectation, right? But individuals don't do that. What they do is they're like, "Oh my gosh, if I don't go buy a house now, prices are just going to keep going up forever and I'm never going to be able to buy a house. I better buy it now or I'm just going to completely miss my opportunity to do." So, you know, that's that recency bias effect in in practice. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, you know, when when you start getting people paying you know, 30 or 40 percent above asking price just to try to buy a house. You know, and they're not even and, and a lot of these houses, by the way, are getting bought sight unseen. People are just going online to, to Zillow or whatever it is and going, oh, there's a house for sale. I better buy it. And they're just putting in offers and buying. They haven't seen the house. Recent survey was out just a couple of weeks ago talking about 50 over 50 percent of the millennials that bought houses in the last two years regret their purchase. Why do they regret their purchase? 1. Nobody told them that they had to pay taxes and homeowner's dues. 2. Nobody told them that they had to maintain the house. <laughs> you know, just you know, just the reality of home ownership, right? Anybody that's owned a home understands that that houses are expensive. Right? They're not cheap. It's not just the mortgage. It's all the other crap that goes along with it. And you know, a lot of millennials ran out and they bought houses because they thought they had to, right? You know, we've so we've told everybody. I mean, the media tells you, well, "You got to be a homeowner. You're stupid if you rent." Really? Am I really that stupid if I rent? Because if I rent, I just pay rent. That's I, That's it. I don't have to pay taxes. I don't have to pay for upkeep or maintenance. Am I really all that stupid for renting if I can just sock away a whole bunch of money? Yeah, I don't own a house, but you really don't own your house anyway. You may own it in terms of the title or the mortgage, but if you owned it, you wouldn't be paying property taxes on it every year and paying homeowners association dues and all these other things that you got to pay with homeownership. Do you really own the house? Right. So but this is the this is the the transition that we've done to the economy, the people and what we tell people in the media. Right. So we've created this, you know, this massive bull market because of all this monetary intervention. And markets have been running rampant here over the last real 10, 12 years. And have we ever seen a period like this before? Yeah. 1990 to 1999, markets were cranking up about 15% a year. It's a new paradigm, right? Internet, computers. It's going to change the world. March of 2000, Jim Cramer came out with his list of top 10 stocks for the next millennium. Right? These are the stocks you're supposed to buy and put away and never touch them again. By the end of 2002, all of them but one was out of all of them but two are either out of business or bankrupt. So you know recency bias is one of the biggest problems that investors get themselves into. They keep thinking that what happened last year is going to happen again this year, next year, the year after. And so what happens is is you take on too much risk. And you're seeing that occur now. We've got record margin debt, and I'm writing an article right now. There was a great study out yesterday by Magnify Money showing the number of people that are now taking out home equity lines of credit, credit card loans, cash advances on credit cards, and taking out personal loans in order to speculate in the markets. Now, real quick, margin debt is a way to leverage your account, And if you're going to leverage, that is the way to do it. And let me explain to you why. The margin debt, and I don't recommend you use margin debt because there's an inherent problem to margin debt. But if you're going to do it, do it with margin debt. And the reason is, is that that margin debt loan is based upon the assets in the account. So when the market does blow up... You're going to be forced to liquidate when the margin calls will come. You'll be forced to liquidate your account and you'll wind up with zero assets in your account. But that's the end of it. That's the end of it. That's that's what happens. You're, you're going to get a call. You're going to get liquidated and you're going to lose everything in your investment account. But there's no residual consequence from margin debt after that. It's done. When you take out a credit card loan, a personal loan, a home equity line of credit, and you lose and you go invest it in the stock market, and then the stock market crashes and you lose all your money. Now you're stuck with not only not having any money in your investment account, you're now stuck with the debt and the interest payment and the consequences. If it's a credit card loan, it's 40 years to pay it off in the minimum using the minimum payment. And if you don't think that actually happens. Let me tell you a story about this young lady that I dealt with back in 2001. She came into my office, had $25,000 in her account, her investment account, and $350,000 of credit card debt. She had taken out all this money on credit cards, and she was just layering credit card on top of credit card on top of credit card and you know, This is kind of what was going on back then. Banks would give you a credit card, and as long as you were making payments, they'd give you more credit. She had $350,000 of credit card debt. She had put it all into the stock market, into dot-com stocks. She had, at one point, $3.5 million worth of value in her investment account. And instead of paying off the credit card debt, she ran it down to $25,000 when it was all said and done. So now she's stuck with $350,000 in credit card debt, $25,000 in her investment account. She had to file bankruptcy. That's with you for a long time. The consequences of that are going to last a long time. And that's what's going on in the markets right now. That's happening as we speak. And that's what you see at the peaks of markets. And so when you see these expectations of, oh, yeah, we're going to get 15% a year forever, Right. The long term average return going back to nineteen hundred six point two percent and markets grow on average with the rate of economic growth over time, because that's where earnings come from. Earnings come from the economy. It's what you and I go spend. Right. We go to restaurants. We go to the Home Depot. We go where we go the Home Depot. Did you hear that? We go to the Walmart and we go to the Kmart. Um, <laughs> You're going to tell us about it on the Twitter? <laughs> and we'll tell you about it on the Twitter, absolutely. But you know, what we do in the economy, where we shop, where we go to, that's the spending. That's the revenue these companies report. That's where their earnings come from. So logically, well, the stock market can detach from economic growth. And right now we have market cap to GDP, right? The value of the stock market relative to the overall economy is, is at the highest level ever on record. That's the Buffett indicator, by the way. That can't remain detached forever, not even with Fed liquidity. Ultimately, valuations matter. It's just a question of when they matter. And now, though, the Fed is saying, hey, the Fed's dropping hints. Listen to what the Fed's doing, right? Jerome Powell in front of Congress, though, yeah, we're not doing nothing, right? There's no inflation. Don't worry about it. We're not doing nothing. That's his job. Behind him are all the little minions running around dropping these little bombs, telling you that taper and interest rates are interest rate hikes are coming. Fed bullard out yesterday. The liquidity bowl is gonna go away at some point. It's just a question of when. And these individuals that have levered up expecting way too much in rates of return, average rates of return over time, even above inflation, are the are kind of the hallmark signs of what you see at very extended bull market cycles. Now, this doesn't mean the market's going to crash tomorrow. doesn't mean you go hide in cash. doesn't mean you go do a thing. But be smart about it, right? If you're making a bunch of money in the market and you've taken out a bunch of credit card debt to invest in the stock market, great, pay off your credit card debt. Sell some stuff, take some profits, pay off the credit card debt, keep going. Don't wind up on the other side of this uh, equation because it's not a good place to be. All right, quick break. Come back. and answer all your questions right here. If you're on our YouTube channel right now, feel free to drop a question to the live chat box. We'll answer it when we come back right after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away.
0: listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July Eighth at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to the Real Investment Show. you any longer. Come and shake your body, baby, do the no, you can control yourself any longer. <laughs>
1: Back to the show this morning at six forty-seven. As we get around right the show, let's get to your questions. Of uh, you know, if you're listening to the show online or um, listening to your radio, um, we appreciate you as always. And you can always go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And if you're not watching our live stream right now, you can click on the YouTube channel and you can get to our live stream. But if you're in your if you're in your car and driving to work and you know doing what you're supposed to do, we you know we appreciate you doing that. Um, I need you to make sure I'm paying in Social Security for me. Um, I'm not there yet, but getting close. Um, but you can always get to the website as well, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click the Ask a Question button. That, that email goes right to my desk. So I get that email every day. I answer every email every day. If for some reason you ask a question and I don't respond to you within a couple of hours usually at the most... Um, it's because I'm either dead, sleeping, or eating. One of those three. Outside of that, you're going to get a response pretty quickly. And if I'm dead, that's a whole different issue. <laughs> so uh, but there's always a always a way to, to ask a question. But if you're watching our live stream right now on our YouTube channel, you can always jump into the chat box and uh, drop your question in. and happy to answer it for you. Um, got a couple, a couple of points we were just talking a second ago about, you know, the cost of home ownership and got a, a couple of chat Chat messages of people saying, hey, I'm replacing an uh, air conditioning unit, 4200 bucks." I just did that, too, um, about two years ago. That guy ain't got cheap. off cheap. Yeah, $4,200 is cheap. Yeah. Uh, another comment here is like, they're paying 10000 Depends on what you're replacing, right? How big the unit is, how big your house is, those type of things. So, you know, there's things that go into the cost, but nonetheless, ain't cheap. I just installed a natural gas generator on my house because I'm tired of these I'm tired of these power outages. (laughs) (laughs) So as soon as my meter's upgraded, that's done. But that was like fourteen grand, Mm -hmm. right? Not cheap, but I'm you know, I lost more during the freeze than and I was fortunate at that time that, you know, I didn't bust any pipes. But, you know, I had neighbors that that had thousands of dollars worth of damage to their house because of busted pipes and other stuff so these are just expenses of home ownership some are optional right natural gas generator completely optional some things are required ac in texas in in, uh summer that's required that is required operating equipment
0: and most of the fall and winter down here (laughs) We got maybe, what, six weeks well, of cold weather? Well,
1: in the end, no, it's true. But, I mean, yeah. most houses now have central air and heat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. Right. Right. So, but yeah, those are those are expenses, right? And as we were talking about a second you know, ago, the cost of home ownership, it's not just buying the house. And this is the one thing I think we've done a very poor job of educating, you know, younger people about. Um, you know, the National Homeowners Association and, you know, the mortgage companies are all out there pushing you know the people of home ownership because that's how they make their money, right? Um, you know, but a lot of the costs and expenses of home ownership they're not relayed to the individual when they're out there buying the house. So it's like, oh, hey, you're buying a home. This is awesome. You know, and realtors are the worst. You know, I've got look, I got, I got lots of friends that are realtors, and y'all are the worst because. You know, a guy comes in, you know, a client comes in and says, "Okay, I've got I'm set up. I can afford a $250,000 house. You go, great. Here, let me go show you this house. It's $350,000. Well, of course, once you see the upgraded house with all the stuff, the bells and whistles, you're going, I want that house. I don't want the $250,000 house. I want this house. Right. So, you know, realtors are bad about pushing people into houses that they really can't afford. They push it to the top of their loan limit. Right. Rather than, you know, saying, hey, look, here's a good house for you to be in. It's 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 a good quality home. It'll get you what you need. And it's well within your budget and, and allows you to save money. Right. We don't we don't bring this back to the fact that you need to be saving 30 percent of your income every month. 30 percent. If you want to retire wealthy and successful and all that, you need to be saving 30 percent of your income. And Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you can't save that much. Right. That's because you're not. You're not thinking about the future, you're just thinking about today, right? So, there's all these other issues, but good points um, about the cost of home ownership. Uh, one good comment here um, is about BlackRock buying up houses. Absolutely true. Uh, BlackRock just bought an entire neighborhood, 17,000 homes all at one time. Uh, BlackRock is, has been doing this for years, by the way. This is not a new thing. They did this after the financial crisis in 2008. They bought up a tremendous number of homes that were distressed home sales at that time, uh, turned them into rentals, and they've been becoming a big, big landlord for years, right, buying rental properties. And, you know, it's not a bad investment strategy, but it, again, you know, they're, they're also problematic Because they'll pay any amount at all, right? I mean, they're paying cash for these houses. So the homeowner says, hey, um, (laughs) as the comment here says, I'll just add an extra zeter to my house and see if they bite. Um, Yeah, BlackRock will pay any price for a home. Like, what's the highest highest bid on this house? Oh, it's 30% above ask? No problem. We'll pay 35%. We'll pay 50% above ask. Doesn't matter. They've got more cash than they know what to do with right now. They have nine trillion dollars under management, and they are the fund. They are basically the portfolio manager for the Federal Reserve. Go figure.
0: And and does not what BlackRock is doing distort the market? Of course. If you're buying seventeen thousand homes at, at
1: higher than ask, yeah, you're distorting the market, and you're distorting all the data. Look, and and by the way, you know when you look on the data. And you'll see these numbers that, you know, there were 300,000 homes sold last month. That's not how many houses were sold last month. That's annualized data. If you actually look at the number of homes that were sold last month, it wasn't that many. So if BlackRock buys 17,000 homes at a whack, you are vastly distorting the underlying number of homes actually being sold. Because these are not new homes. These are existing homes. Better for sale. So you got to understand that a lot of these reported numbers, these are annualized. So if I buy ten thousand homes in a month, that's a hundred and twenty thousand homes annualized. So you got to really understand. You know these headlines. You got to be very careful these headlines because a lot of these headlines use annualized data, annual rates of return, year over year rate changes those can vastly distort you know it's 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 fun with math right lies damn lies and statistics as mark twain once said can vastly distort the actual numbers okay anyway um let's get some of these other questions here i got off he got me off on a rant um (laughs) when will the bubble pop i'm on the sideline uh it's like water torture yes um problem is is it could not pop for a couple more years This is why we talk a a lot about risk management. We've got to be invested, right? Um, We have a job as portfolio managers for our clients is that we've got to make the money. Um, You know, would my preference be to sit in cash and just wait this out and eventually buy stuff at a 50% discount? Yeah. Problem is, is our clients can't afford to do that. Two, Two reasons they can't afford to do that. One is they need their money to make money now because they're taking income distributions. And two, psychologically, they can't withstand it right to your point it's like water torture they see everybody they see the market going up every day they see everybody talking about how much money they're making they're sitting in cash i won't have any clients i'm writing an article right now it'll be coming out in a couple in a few weeks um, called you know why financial advisors face career risk the reason that financial advisors stick people into buy and hold models is because there's no risk in it they they go up with the markets and if the market crashes they go well mr client you know the market was down 50% what would you expect right and that's why you hear a lot of these people talk about, well, yeah, there's going to be some volatility in the markets. You know, They don't talk about you lose 50% of your money and then spend five or six years getting back to even. They don't talk about what the damage is to your long-term returns that way. But that's why we talk about risk management. You know, We've got to be invested, but we can control the risk of doing that. Do we give up some of the gain? Yeah. Can we, mix, can we maximize and, uh, our, our loss protection? Can we minimize the, the, the loss of capital on a drawdown? Yes, we can do that, too. But you can't have your cake and eat you can't have, you know, AMC in your portfolio and be making 30 percent in a month and then not expect to lose 50, 60, 70 percent of your money when it reverses. So you've got to have a realistic expectation of what returns are. And that's why this this comment uh, last segment talking about 15.6 percent rates of return. That's recency bias. And that's one of the biggest psychological traps that people get them in, uh, themselves into. So you have to invest. But. Just do it in a manner where you can control your risk. Buy stuff that's selling at a discount. Buy stuff that's oversold. Um, that's when we apply technical analysis to all of our overlays, so you can you can manage the risk. You just got to put a little bit of the work into it. It's it's and and then and then part of being out of the market entirely and being afraid of the market. That's also a, a psychological barrier of of investment success, right? You can't allow your emotions and fear about a. a a decline keep you from investing because otherwise you're not going to invest because what will happen is you'll stay out of the market until the market crashes. Then the market's going to crash March of 2020, uh, as an example, and then you won't get back in because you think it's going to crash even more. Right? So you just have to navigate the markets for what they are. And again, it's 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 tough, right? I mean, it's very tough, and it's just that's the way it is. And we've got to do that. We've got to understand the dynamics. We've got to play the game uh as as they always say you don't hate the player you know you know hate the game we gotta we gotta play we gotta be the player right we can hate the game but we gotta be the player and we gotta do it for for what it is right now because we gotta make money we gotta get ready for retirement um you know so this is so lance you restated what we know i have a small position in sosx many reasons including pacific war facing the world yeah i don't disagree you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's going on geopolitically that is certainly worth paying attention to. What's happening in China, what's happening in, uh, you know, potentially with Taiwan, what's happening in the Middle East. You know, these are all issues that have the potential to have a much larger geopolitical impact. And the one thing that upends the markets eventually is some unexpected exogenous event. That's the thing that trips everything up. It's all fine as long as it's stuff we know about. It's when something occurs we weren't planning on, right? Somebody launches a nuke into the middle of Israel. That's the thing that topples markets, right? It's the thing they can't quantify quickly and causes an exit from markets. That's the thing you gotta be aware of. So again, there's a lot of that potential risk out there. I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but That's the thing you have to worry about relative to markets and outcomes. And especially when you have a lot of margin debt and extension, that becomes even more problematic. Have a great day. That wraps up the show for today. Uh, Richard Ross will be here tomorrow. Of course, be back on Monday. Get the weekend. this weekend, realinvestmentadvice.com.